If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I went camping with my RV by myself way out in the middle of nowhere in north central Pennsylvania. Drove on dirt forest. Sur- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Service roads for over an hour and then hiked about six miles in on a barely recognizable trail. There were no signs anyone had been in the area recently. The trail was almost completely overgrown. No footprints, spiderweb everywhere, etc. I didn't really have a planned stopping point. I was just looking for a nice place to camp, but the trail followed a creek in a valley and was very rocky and not flat. As the sun is starting to set, I came upon a fork in the creek with a nice flat spot just on the other side. As I got closer, I saw all sorts of stuff laying about. I crossed the creek and started looking around. There was a tarp on the ground by a stone fire ring, a log about a foot in diameter that had been chopped with an axe. A little bit away, I found the entire contents of what you would imagine to find in a hiker's backpack, food, cooking set, camping pad, first aid kit, 
etc., all strewn about on the ground, but no backpack in sight. There was a pile of clothes down by the creek that looked like it had set through the last rain, which was the day prior, and a towel hanging from a tree. There was an area that had clearly been used as a toilet for maybe 10, 14 days based on the amount of toilet paper piles. The strangest thing, though, was this cage about four foot square, made out of saplings tied together. It was framed where the edges of a cube would be, and then had crossbars diagonally on each face. But it wouldn't have kept anything inside because of how much open space there was, and obviously wouldn't have been very sturdy since it was only made from saplings. I ended up deciding to set up camp there because it was nearly dark and I didn't really have much choice unless I wanted to hike out in the dark on an unrecognizable trail. I had a 12-inch knife on me, and I kept that thing in one hand the whole time I was there, thinking some crazy guy was going to jump out and try to eat me. All night I barely slept and kept thinking. I was hearing things, and then as soon as the sun came up, I packed up and got the F out of there. Everything turned out fine, no crazy cannibals or anything. But it still really bugs me because I don't know what that stupid wooden cube frame cage thing was. I called the Forest Service for the area and told them about it, even sent them pictures. They said they'd send a ranger in to check it out and clean it up, but I never followed up to see if they figured out what it was. The ranger on the phone told me it was probably either someone with a still nearby, someone growing pot, or just some loner living out in the woods. I roamed up the sides of the valley before I set up camp and didn't see anything. It still seems unlikely because of how far you would have to carry equipment in, and the area isn't really great for growing pot. So maybe it was just some guy living out in the woods. But why the cage? If there's any interest, I can probably find the pictures. Oh yeah, and last year I was camping out in Colorado and woke up at about 2 a.m. to a pack of coyotes running through my camp howling. Sounded like at least 20 of them. My dog was asleep next to me the entire time. Probably best he didn't wake up, though. He would have gone nuts, and I'm told coyotes are much bolder in packs. I've only hiked at night once, intentionally. I was camping in the very southern tip of Illinois. With a big group of people, ten or so, it was a privately owned park, so we weren't allowed to leave out plots past 10 p.m., but we all wanted to go stargazing at the lake. We waited till probably around midnight and left for the lake. If you've never experienced nighttime away from civilization, let me tell you it gets dark. We all held hands and walked in a line because you quite literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. We didn't use flashlights because we didn't want rangers to see us leaving camp so late. As we got closer to the lake, we heard a non-animal make a trilling, hooting sound. Imagine a baritone owl hooting into a fan. That's the best I can do to describe it. Ha ha. It was kind of creepy sounding, but we all just assumed it was a weird owl doing his thing. We were now in the tree line at the lake, and the trilling had gotten louder and more aggressive sounding. We were all on edge and starting to think that maybe it wasn't an owl. Some of my friends laid down to look at the stars, but I was too freaked out to relax. The trilling got much closer in dirt, and leaves were being thrown towards us from the tree line. Obviously not an owl at this point. We all decided to leave immediately. I'm shaking in fight or flight mode, but unable to run because we all have to hold hands or someone might get lost. We decided to take a shortcut straight through the ranger station because it seemed safer than taking the trail back, also because it's lit up. The trilling follows us for a bit, but stops once we pass the ranger station. I was never more relieved to get back to camp. Still no idea what kind of cryptid it was, though. I googled online and still wonder if it could be a mothman. When I was really young, like six maybe, I woke up one morning and found a huge scar on the top of my foot. It looked like an old scar, but I had never seen it before. 
I showed my parents and tried explaining that this is new and was never there before, but they weren't interested. I played with it all day, utterly confused and nervous. Next morning it was gone. My foot was back to normal. Later that say, I dropped a coffee cup and a piece of it sliced the top of my foot open, right where the scar had been. And sure enough, it left the exact same scar I had seen the day before. I had been cooking breakfast in my in-law's guest house with my dog when he suddenly started barking at something in the corner of the room. Nothing was there. He started backing up as if whatever he was barking at was coming closer to him. He was using his deep intimidation bark, which I had only heard a few times before. Tail Tuck totally freaked out. Knowing the house was originally built by the first owner who died many years ago, everyone jokes about it being haunted. A friend claims he saw shadows during in the months he lived in there, and sometimes we hear footsteps while in the garage below. This is when I decided it was time to go. Friendly ghost or not, I was not about to stick around. My dog sprinted out of there as fast as he could checking behind him on the way out. An hour later, I am exhausted and napping in the main house. I'm not sure how I began to lucid dream, as I've not really done it much in the past. At some point in my dream, I decided to go back into the guest house. As clear as day, I hear a man talking about the house. Just a normal conversation. Almost like he was showing me around the house. I then get this feeling like something is lurking behind me. As I turn, I see this black hunched figure, and at this point I am freaked out. It jumps over the banister to the stairs, and I can hear the loud, heavy stomps down the stairs. I even felt the vibrations. It was so real. Needless to say, I did not go back into that place for a few days. Nothing like that has happened since, but I was really shaken up. Can't explain it. I was 21 and really into primitive camping in 2015. I'd taken a long trip to Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky in the spring. I had my Borer collie with me who loved the forest. We had been there more than 10 times for overnight trips at this point. After finding our normal place, we set out and hiked 10 miles, and we had ran into a handful of people on the trail. We camped overnight. When we woke up, had breakfast, got packed up, and headed out. It was about noon. About an hour into our walk the second day, every sound stopped. And when I say sound stopped, I mean things were absolutely dead quiet. It was terrifying. I couldn't hear the wind. I couldn't hear water trickling by the stream. No birds. Nothing. My ears rang terribly because of the silence. I can't emphasize how terrified I was. I had never experienced anything like this. And then my border collie growled. I could hear the growl. It sounded so strange in the quiet, and at that point I knew that it wasn't just my ears. I talked to my dog and tried to calm her down, and I could hear my voice. When I took a step, I would hear the step. It wasn't just me. It wasn't my ears. My dog was reacting, too. After about 45 seconds, things returned to normal, completely normal. The wind was there. We could hear birds, the stream, everything completely normal. My dog and I hiked out and left immediately. I'm an avid hiker now and constantly out on trails. Nothing close to this has ever happened again. I swear to God, I still have nightmares. I've never been back to that forest. I was in the military and we made enemy contact on the side of a major highway that ran through the whole country. There was a convoy being attacked, so we went to help and took up positions on the east side of the highway using a dried-up canal bank as cover. My HMMV was equipped with 50 caliber and an LRAS thermal image surveillance device. Our platoon took up our positions and fired on the enemy. Our fire devastated these dudes. Not to be graphic, but we observed these dudes literally falling apart in the thermal imaging. 
It was nighttime, and the call was made that we had to wait until first light to do the battle damage assessment due to these particular insurgents booby-trapping their positions with mines and IEDs. The thought was that we could see better in the morning and see tripwires or disturbed earth and pressure plates better and avoid any possible traps. We overwatched the enemy's positions all night, and not a thing moved or was seen until dawn. We loaded up and went to assess the area. When we got there, there was no bodies, no shell casings, not a drop of blood anywhere. It made the hair on my neck stand up. We had watched their bodies basically explode that night, and there was no trace anyone had been there at all besides some water bottles and cigarette butts. Now they did have a concealed route to the position we were not aware of until dawn, and this particular group of insurgents was known to collect their dead to avoid us finding them, and for superstitious reasons, but damn, not a drop of blood anywhere. That particular event was the eeriest and has stuck with me ever since. It was in 2006. On June 3rd, or maybe 4th, 2011, I was camping with a good friend of mine. We had hiked approximately 12 miles into the Lost Creek Wilderness area following the Colorado Trail from where Section 4 starts at Wellington Lake Road. We reached what is referred to as the meadow and decided to set up camp for the night. The elevation gain had been significant, and we were beaten. Well, I was beat because I wasn't in the greatest shape for backpacking. In the backcountry, we got camp set up, gathered firewood, and ate our dinners of dehydrated mountain house food. As it got darker, we got the fire going and were standing around talking. The sky was super dark, and the only sounds around were from the campfire and our own voices. I remember that I could see more stars than I ever had before. The light pollution was incredibly low. My friend and I were working for an aerospace company and started talking about the satellites we had been building and wondered if we could see any satellites in the super dark sky. We didn't have to wait long. We were able to see one after another. We could see so many that eventually the novelty of it wore off. We stopped watching the sky and were facing each other, talking about regular life, when out of nowhere we were completely encircled by an intense beam of light. This light formed a perfectly circular pattern on the ground. Part of the beam was in the trees next to us, but because of the pattern, the light had to have a point of origin directly above us. There was no oval in the beam pattern, as if the beam came from a side. It was perfectly centered on us. This beam was probably 10, 20 yards in diameter. It was incredibly bright. It was a cool white color, like a 5,600K lead light. There was no diffusion of light at the perimeter. It was incredibly defined. My friend and I were completely illuminated and were staring right at each other. We just kind of froze. The beam lasted about two to three seconds. I immediately retrieved my cell phone from my pocket and checked the time. I felt like I should in case we had missing time. The time was about what it should have been, somewhere in the 2 a.m. hour. I do not believe we had any missing time. I asked my friend if he had seen the light. I wanted to confirm that what I had just seen was in fact there, and not because I was suffering from a sudden brain aneurysm. He in fact confirmed that yes, the intense spotlight that I had witnessed was real, and that he had seen it too. We immediately began trying to explain what had just happened. We yelled out in the darkness, Hello! There was no response. We scanned the woods and meadow as best we could by flashlight and could see no one. We both knew that the light came from above. We knew that it didn't come from a flashlight from the side. I think we were just trying to make ourselves feel better about what had happened. Now during this entire encounter it had been quiet out there. Just the fire in our voices. No other people, no vehicles. There wasn't even any air traffic. It was just completely dead quiet. In later years I have wondered if perhaps this was a directed beam from a personal drone. I can quickly dismiss this as once again there was no noise whatsoever. 
Also, during this time frame, drones weren't nearly as popular or common as they are today. Anyhow, we continued trying to ease our nerves by coming up with explanations that could never be. The best I could come up with is that a bolide had entered the atmosphere and had a trajectory directly above us, heading perfectly straight down towards us. Yes, this was an absurd explanation, but I could not and cannot explain what this light had been from. I am still completely baffled by this. There are times I will message my friend out of nowhere and ask him if he remembers this event. He clearly does remember and responds with something like, Oh, you mean that night we got probed? Of course I remember. The probe talk is in jest, but we clearly encountered something that night. I will forever wonder what illuminated us so incredibly brightly that dark, quiet night. I would love to know, but maybe it's better that I don't. I was an owner-operator in trucking. My husband knew I had had a lot of unusual things happen to me in my life. Thank goodness he believed in me, so he didn't criticize me. Here is my story. It was the night of August 2, 2017. We had traveled in separate rigs from Chicago, Illinois, and were cutting across this bridge in the boonies. We were about 70 miles west of the city in Lee County, Illinois. It was a low-weight bridge. I don't remember the road name or designation, but instead of turning around and backtracking many miles, he decided that we would cross this bridge. Not liking the idea, I agreed, and he said he would go first, just in case something happened. Okay, I said. He crossed the bridge. Now let me say this. It was indeed a small road, and after crossing, there was barely any room to turn right and bring the trailer behind you and not hit the side of the cut. Okay. So after he crossed safely, he said, be careful. The road is barely there and a really tight turn. So I followed and I spoke to him over the CB and told him that he was right and that was tight. That is when he asked me if had I seen that thing on top of the bridge. He told me, I don't see how you could miss it. It was like some big being of some kind in a crouched position with really big red eyes glowing brightly. I joked with him. That is why they call me detective because nothing gets by me. I was joking, but knew he didn't joke about this kind of stuff. So he described it again as a large person or human, like shape sitting on top of this bridge with red glowing eyes. He was serious. Now I don't know if this thing was warning us or protecting us, but it happened, and that is that. In this memory, I'm sitting in front of the TV, and it's a hot summer night. We didn't have air conditioning, and all the windows were open. I was watching TV alone very late, and the house was very quiet. This in itself was strange, because my parents did not allow us to watch TV late, even in the summer. It was also next to impossible to be in any place in the house without a crowd, because I come from a large family, and the house was always noisy. I remember having a strong feeling to look outside. I went to the front door and looked at the screen. I saw a large, dark vehicle parked outside. It wasn't right in front of our house, but was closer to an empty house. I couldn't see the make of it. It was black, and the windows were too dark to see inside. It looked like a gangster car out of maybe the 1930s. I thought it weird that it was parked on our street but some of the guys in the neighborhood were into muscle cars. So maybe it wasn't that weird. It was very quiet outside, and there were no lights at the neighbors' houses. The night air reminded me of how it feels right before a thunderstorm. Suddenly I'm in the car, but oddly, the light is on inside, and there are a number of people with me. We are sitting in rows of seats, and there is a yellow-orange light filling the vehicle. I look around at the faces in the car, but no one is looking back at me. They seem familiar, but not like relatives. The vehicle appeared to have a large number of us inside, maybe 15, 20, but the inside was not that big. Suddenly I was aware that the vehicle had been moving, although I couldn't feel anything at all. Soon I realized we were stopping and at another house. 
I remember standing inside as a tall, thin figure held the hand of a person in pajamas leading them out of the room. Two people were sitting on a couch watching TV as I stood there, but they seemed in a daze, totally indifferent to us being there. Then I was in the vehicle again, and we were sitting inside very still. Somehow I was able to look out the wall of the vehicle and saw we were moving over a grassy area that was very muddy. It was very dark outside, but it smelled like muddy water, and it occurred to me that we were near the river. There were no buildings around us just overgrown areas of trees and grass. I saw some cattails and some gorges under us. There must have been streams off of the river. At this time of the year, you would often be hearing the crickets very loud at night and see the fireflies all over. But it was dead silent, and I didn't notice any of the fireflies around. The vehicle was moving, but not rolling like a car. It seemed to be hovering above the ground. I turned from looking outside to looking back inside and realized there was a front seat to the vehicle, and there were two people sitting in front. All of a sudden, one turned and looked back at me, and it was a beautiful golden-haired child. He couldn't have been more than a year or two, wearing a diaper. He resembled statues of the baby Jesus I have seen in church. There was a warm glow about him, and I remember the curls touching his pink, rosy cheeks. He was talking to us, and some of the people next to me seemed to relax, and a few sighed. But as I was sitting there, I thought something was wrong. Something didn't feel right. The words he was speaking were in my head, but they were bothering me. The sounds bounced around my skull and echoed, giving me a headache. For a baby, there was something cold and distant about him. I shook my head and looked at the figure speaking. There was a fuzziness in front of him. It was like a television screen in front of him that was losing its signal. I reached out to touch him, and he backed away. As the image flickered in front of me, I saw another figure. It was small and brown, and the head was a weird shape. It had large eyes, wider than long, and ridges around its eyes like oversized lids. I had a frightened thought that something really terrible was standing in front of me. The face of the baby Jesus stabilized, and I felt my body go cold. Baby Jesus looked deeply into my eyes, leaned toward me, and I broke loose and punched it in the face. I didn't think about punching it. I seemed to do it instinctively. I think I saw a flash, and then I must have blacked out. I guess I forgot about it until a few months later. My family drove down to a riverfront park to celebrate some relative's birthday. I was walking on a path close to the river and could smell the strong smell of the muddy water. I glanced around and saw a bunch of cattails. Suddenly I remembered it. The gangster car, the yellow-orange light, the people watching TV, the baby Jesus, the strange, headed being, and the punch. I never told anyone about this event. There were so many things about it that were too ridiculous. In 1971, I couldn't make any sense of it or place it in any category if I tried. I have never considered it a dream because it was too real. I have other strange memories about the house I grew up in, but many are not as vivid as this one. I recently moved back into the house and I started thinking about this event again. I don't really know what to do with the memory. I made some sketches about what I remember. The baby Jesus figure was like a little glowing angel but there was something very distant about it. The weird being had a tan, light brown dry skin. It didn't look like any of the gray aliens I've seen in pictures. When I hit it, it was like hitting a turkey with dry skin. The black car seemed to dip in the back and seemed to hug the street when it was parked outside the house. I nearly died from last year pandemic. For reference, I was at the time a relatively healthy 37-year-old male. My recovery is still ongoing. I was on both a ventilator and ECMO treatment, and my oxygen saturation during my near. Death was anywhere from 60 to 80. 85 plus was rare and a good day. I know how bad that is. I'm an EMT. This terrible low oxygen hell lasted 35 days. 
During those 35 days, I had dangerously unsafe levels of medicine in my blood, opiates and antivirals, remdesivir, etc. During this, my amazing fiancé, now wife, married that amazing human being as soon as I could stand for a bit on oxygen, did a lot of things to try to reach me, even though she wasn't allowed to visit in person. She recorded herself reading Terry Pratchett, had them play my favorite CD, recorded a voicemail from my father, had them put up a poster of Sabre from the Fate franchise, hung tons of photos and crafts from the arm of the dome light over my hospital bed, among other things. The part that really F.S.ed me up is that the whole time I was unconscious, I was in a pseudo-reality where I could feel, move, think, and react. It looked not unlike a scene out of Sin City where everything was a washed-out monochrome except for highlights of red and rarely purple-green. The place I found myself was a terrible ruined dystopia, and I mean that in every sense. Buildings were ruined without water. Sewage backed up, trash on the streets in heaping, fetid, rancid piles. The worst part was that I wasn't alone. I was chased by, well, I still don't know what to call them, to be honest. I've had a little over seven months to think about it, and I'm really not any closer to categorizing them. I recognize these things as former humans, beings that had become grotesque, warped flesh, teeming with cancerous polyps and growths their veins showing in a disgusting, bulging black-red through their skin, visibly pulsing. Their eyes were feral and sharp, usually with black sclera and red iris pupils, but sometimes a solid black. I don't know well because the moment I saw them I knew I had to run. The problem was that they were faster, stronger, and more cunning than I, and far outnumbered me. They caught me and devoured me, rending me apart. My consciousness slowly dissolved as I died under their jaws, claws, and teeth. And then I'd wake up again, sometimes fully formed, sometimes half-mangled still in another alley next to the trash and filth, and I would stumble, running again. This happened for a month, constantly hunted, to be recaptured and devoured, Often I had, quote, forced intercourse, if you know what I mean by the creatures, too. I still struggle with what it means. I'm a resilient person, full of gratitude and gladness that I survived, but I never would have if not for my wife. I remember the last run very well, because I was ready to give up. I'd been formed with part of my innards trailing behind me, blown out through my kidney low back, and I could feel it flopping on the pavement as I ran. I was running up steps, too, which is where they usually caught me, and I was using a filthy railing to propel myself up. I can still taste the metallic, stale air when I crossed to the top, and the way my heart dropped when I saw two huge creatures like the others. Not for the first time, but they were much closer. They were more golem than creature, though, and were fighting one another, forearms in each with massive bone blades on their forearms. I remember that to get by them, I had to duck under one, and the wind alone nearly knocked me over. I found a set of two doors leading to a cellar, and rather than risk pissing them off, I went down into that dank cellar instead. The story is already long, but it feels good to write it out at last, at least in part, so I'm going to finish it. It was one of those cellars that had the brick glass, where there's no way out and limited light gets in. I was naked and my feet moved through a strange, vicious fluid, which feel very furry and vile on top, but slick and congealed beneath. It soon dawned on me that it was decomposed remains, and as light slowly adjusted, I could see human bones in the muck as well. Along the wall were benches, but very crudely constructed, almost primitive, and on them were containers, sometimes junky five-gallon buckets slick with filth, other times metal bins, a few garbage cans, all neatly sorting various parts of human beings. And then I heard the footsteps, heavy, steady, final. A giant bipedal creature descended, more intelligent than the others that went on all fours but didn't 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Speak. He had the sort of no-neck shoulders from massive muscle-bound strength, and he had to contort himself to fit into the cellar. Getting past him was out of the question, because even crouched over, he filled floor to ceiling. He had a neanderthal-like jaw and bugged eyes that were bright and sinister at the same time, and I could feel the sick perversion and murderous intent rolling off of him. It gives me anxiety and chills to even think about it. You've been tenderized enough. I figure it's about time to eat you. And you won't come back this time, don't worry. And I swear by all that I can, to the gods on my dead mother's grave. It was right then that I really was about to give up. I'd thought a lot about giving up prior to this, to just stop fighting and let myself die. I know without a shadow of a doubt if I had, I wouldn't be here writing this. But I heard a voice, odd but familiar, in my head. Fight. I grew up trained by my father as a boxer and nearly went professional at one time when I was younger and wilder. So I fought. I know what you're probably thinking. That's not what happened. I fought all right, and I did myself proud. I used my range, my speed, and power, my combinations. I used things I'd learned from wrestlers, from BJJ, from Muay Thai, from Aikido, and let me tell you that all of it, as satisfying as hearing the little pops of sound and avoiding him for so long, was. It amounted to fall. Eventually, I got tired, and I finally made a mistake, swaying into a duck too soon after a hook, trying in vain to move a creature that only let out a faint grunt of annoyance when I'd hit him. He grabbed me, his huge hand clutching me around my upper torso and squeezed, and my ribs crackled like shattered toothpicks. I would have screamed, but I couldn't. I couldn't breathe. I could only vent foaming blood from my mouth every time he squeezed me in glee. He clamped his teeth into my left arm, taking a huge bite out of it, and it seared like he had molten iron in his mouth. It was and is the worst pain I've even been in. I heard it again in my head. Fight! I did. Pathetically, I hit him in the throat. But he wasn't paying attention to me anymore. He was staring off distantly, like he was trying to hear something very far away. It gave me enough time to wring his thumb, opening up his hand enough so that he dropped me and he didn't move. So I went by him, dragging my ruined arm through the muck, bounding up those stairs like a skittering prey animal. I ran. I ran through wildly, racing streets, coughing blood out my lungs, ran and ran and ran as shadow hands and fleshy fingers pulled along my body, trying to drag me down and consume me one last time. I ran into a ruined Chinatown, the styling of the buildings and awnings eastern, and ran into one of those outdoor markets, the sort with a pergola set up to keep things in shade during specific hours. It was the only clean structure I'd come across. The concrete floor was cool, dry, and tidy, and hanging from the board above me was a little wire and bead tree nestled in a glass bottle dangling in front of my face. I don't know how, but I knew then I was safe. I never saw another monster. I explored the ruined city, slowly moving upward, and came across actual people again, though none talked to me. The city was beset with civil riots and police forces and SS Waitee Gar and armored vehicles containing them. I was up across a skyway walking towards a pretty sunset when my vision just dissolved. Like a movie crossfade, I was simply awake and staring at a familiar little wire 
and bead tree nestled in a glass bottle, dangling in front of my face, hanging from the adjustable arm of the dome, light in front of me, along with more pictures of people who loved me than I can name. From the little end table at bedside, my father's voice was speaking to me. Later, when I was more aware, I would rewind it and hear his message. I'm not telling you to rest, my son. Right now, you fight. You gather up everything inside of yourself, because if you rest, you will die. You gather it all up and you fight. I still think about this a lot and about what it means. Every damn day. When I was 14, I'm 20 now, I saw a shadow person. I was scrolling on my iPod, looked at the door that was right in front of my bed, and there was a tall shadow figure of a man staring at me. I froze instantly. I said a prayer in my mind because I couldn't speak, and it walked away. It turned to the side, then two, two long strides, then disappeared into the darkness of my room. I cried and screamed for the next two hours. My mom thinks it's someone who Astral projected in our house to spy on us. In 2014, I saw a cup lift itself into the air, then back down on the table. In 2016, three glowing white orb things were floating in circles on top of our house. My entire family saw it, but they convinced themselves it's just an illusion from lights far away. But they were bright and floating in random circles for three-ish hours. Never happened after that again, 2019. Another shadow person, but witnessed by my two brothers. In the closet this time, a lot of random door handles magically being pushed down and doors being swung open through the years, too, in 2020. I left my haunted, cool childhood home, but at the new house. My entire family and I heard my brother's voice scream, help me in the hallway. And he was sitting in the living room, probably the creepiest experience. My, spiritual, mom says it's just fairies playing tricks on us. That was the last of my encounters. About 19 years ago, near my hometown in country New South Wales, I used to get driven to catch a bus from a town called Parks about one hour from my hometown to go visit my then-boyfriend in another town, several hours away. The bus I had to travel to get to left from Parks at around 2 a.m., and it arrived back late at night, and my dad would pick me up. On two separate occasions, we saw something strange. On the first occasion, we're driving along the country road in between two towns, the road running in between farms, fenced off from the road. There was hills behind these farms that were silhouetted against the often bright night sky. We saw a big ball of light traveling down the hill, parallel to our car probably a couple of kilometers away, and we thought it was just a truck possibly driving along there, until we realized there wasn't a road there, and it was one light, not two, like car headlights. And it wasn't a motorcycle. Just because there wasn't a road, there didn't mean it wasn't a vehicle, though. But it moved so smoothly and quickly, and we just thought it was odd. We didn't really think much about it until a few weeks later we were doing the same drive late at night, possibly a bit after midnight, and we saw the same light. In the same area, moving quickly and smoothly again. This time, Dad decided to stop the car and turn off the engine when he did that. The light came down the hill and hurtling towards us across the farm fields and over the fence that divided the farms from the road. It was fast. The ball of light was probably about two meters off the ground and had a diameter of around one and a half meters. It was a gigantic, silent ball of light that kind of fluctuated and rotated as it moved. It slowed and hovered in the middle of the road behind our car probably about 50 meters behind us. I got so scared, but Dad was fascinated watching it inquisitively. I was panicking and yelling to start the car and drive. I'm not sure what happened after that because Dad turned the engine on and we started driving. We never saw that light again. 
but that was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, and every now and again I mention it to my dad. Just so that I know I'm not going crazy, and Dad always confirms every detail of it with me. I'm glad we were both there, otherwise I'd think I was going mad. I hadn't heard of mind man lights until years later. The things that people have described as mind mind lights match exactly to what we saw. I'll never forget it. Has anyone else ever seen something like this in country New South Wales? I've read lots of stories of these lights in Queensland but not New South Wales. Hello. Never posted on here, but wanted to see if someone could give me some answers. I'm 20, two female, and I currently live with my boyfriend and two cats. At around 18, when I lived with my parents, I started having some paranormal things happen to me. It started with hearing my cat's bells. Now that I'm thinking about it, this cat was a gift from my best friend. He was an elderly cat that's owner passed away. Unfortunately, I had to give him back to my best friend because I was moving. But the fact that his owner passed away has me thinking now. I would be laying on the bed with my cat, and I would hear his bells from his toys under my bed or on the wood floor. It always creeped me out a bit, but... I just tried to tell myself it was my grandparents letting me know they're here. I started to see blobs of color. Very hard to describe, but I know I wasn't crazy because my best friend would assure me that she could also see it. Then the most significant thing happened. We were home alone, just got back from school. My parents have a dog who is very territorial and will always let you know if someone is knocking on the door or coming inside. We heard someone rush through the front door and start playing the TV, washing dishes, using the microwave. But the dog hadn't made a peep. I yelled, anyone there? No response. We looked outside. Still no cars parked. I never went downstairs because I was terrified. But yay, that happened. I moved to my sister's house. Still saw the blob. Still heard the bells. Mind you, I didn't have that cat anymore from when I started to hear the bells in the first place. I had a new cat, and I still heard the bells. Tried to not scare myself whenever I saw or heard these things, though. Then I moved again into my boyfriend's house. There was definitely some spirits before we moved in. I would see figures out the corner of my eyes all the time. I was terrified there, and I still heard the bells. Now I live in a different apartment, and I still hear the bells. I haven't seen the blob since I lived with my sister, but it's currently almost 4 a.m., and I heard the bells going crazy. It's not my cats. They're on my bed, and they do not have collars with bells or anything. There's one single toy in my apartment with a bell, and it suctions to a wall. It's not in my bedroom where I always hear the bell. For some reason, it freaked me out a little extra tonight. I just want to know if this has ever happened to anyone else. Sorry for the long post, but please, anything. I've spent my entire life hunting in the dense Oregon wilderness, where the towering trees cast long shadows that seem to devour the daylight. I'm Jake a seasoned hunter known throughout the region for my tracking skills and fearlessness. My loyal hunting companion, Max, a sturdy and faithful dog, has been with me through countless adventures in these woods. But there's one particular occasion that still haunts my memories. I remember it as if it happened yesterday. It was an autumn evening. The thrill of the hunt coursed through my veins, and I couldn't shake the feeling that tonight would be the night I made my biggest catch yet. Armed with my trusty rifle and accompanied by Max, I ventured deeper into the wilderness than ever before. The woods were alive with secrets and whispers, the air heavy with a sense of foreboding. We followed a trail of tracks that I believed belonged to a buck, my senses keen and alert. As the hours passed, darkness descended upon the forest. The usual sounds of critters scurrying and leaves rustling ceased, and an eerie silence enveloped the woods. Max's ears perked up, and he growled lowly, his hackles raised. It was then that I heard it, 
a deep guttural growl that sent shivers down my spine. I scanned the trees, my heart pounding in my chest. In the dim light, I saw something that defied all logic and explanation. It was an enormous shadowy figure, standing about eight to nine feet tall. My breath caught in my throat as I realized this creature had two long, skinny legs, arms that reached all the way to the ground in a round, featureless body. Most unsettling of all, it had a long, skinny neck and, to my astonishment, no face. Absolutely none. It was like a living nightmare. Instinctively, I raised my rifle, ready to defend myself. Max crouched low, his teeth bared. But something held me back, a gnawing uncertainty that gnawed at my gut. I couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger. I didn't know what this creature was, and fear mingled with curiosity. I decided to stalk the creature instead, moving silently through the underbrush, my heart pounding in my chest. The creature moved with an uncanny grace, its elongated limbs gliding effortlessly through the forest. It seemed oblivious to my presence, or perhaps it simply didn't care. We continued our strange dance through the darkened woods, me keeping a cautious distance. My mind raced with questions. What was this creature? Was it a figment of my imagination, or something more sinister? Then, in an instant, it vanished. It was there one moment, and in the blink of an eye, it was gone, swallowed by the depths of the forest. I stood there, bewildered and breathless, unable to comprehend what I had just witnessed. Max whimpered, and I realized that whatever this creature was, it had left an indelible mark on both of us. I could have taken a shot, but I chose not to. I made my way back home that night, my thoughts a whirlwind of confusion and wonder. I never spoke of that encounter to anyone, for fear they would dismiss it as the ramblings of a man lost in the woods. My mom was a missionary with the tribes in southern Alaska, and I grew up with stories of weird events. I'm in northern California, about ten minutes from the Oregon border, along the coast in the heart of the Redwoods. Six years ago, my son and I were out deer hunting. We had taken an old logging road that went off the main logging road. It went off about two miles. At the end was regrowth and a couple more roads and trails that took off downhill. I had my seven-year-old son pick a road to take. We headed down for a half mile when we came to a small creek. We continued down another half mile or so to a plateau where we sat and listened and glassed the area. After about fifteen or so minutes, we began to hear rocks slapping together. My son looked at me and asked, What's that, Dad? I had no idea. I've been hunting for twenty-plus years and never heard anything like that. I told him to get up and head back to the truck. The rock slapping lasted five or so minutes. We made our way back slowly still trying to hunt, but also listening to any other out of the normal sounds. We're about halfway back to the creek, and we heard something coming right at us, running through the brush and trees. I raised my rifle to almost shoulder level. Then a deer popped out, running at my son and me. It went around past us not no more than ten feet. As I stood there, the first thought was, it should be scared of us, but it ran right at us. My next thought was, whatever it was running from was bigger than us. My son was on edge, and I said, let's head back. The part I'll never forget is when we hit the small creek we had stopped earlier. There was a sapling about five inches in diameter that was snapped over and blocking the way. As soon as my son saw that he looked at me with utter fear in his eyes and began to run the whole way back to the truck. As he was running to the truck, I was trying to calm him down and try to get my mind in control. The rock slapping begins again. We reached the truck, jumped in, and left. He was in tears and said that he never wanted to go back to that spot. Every year we go hunting, he brings up that event. I still consider myself lucky to still have him go hunting with me after that event. I know if it were me at that age, I would never want to go in the woods again. Not my story, but my seniors. 
Two of them were sending one of my friends that has fallen sick. We all are in the same club and we're having a camp from a park back to the bunk late at night. Before the camp begins, all of the seniors wore wristbands that were taken from a temple to protect them from any danger, because we never knew what would happen. As they were walking back, they were lost. However, out of nowhere, a black dog appeared and started walking in front of them, like it was a sign asking them to follow. They followed, and they did actually went back to the bunk safely. When they looked for the dog after that, the dog disappeared. They even mentioned that the dog was pure black, just like a shadow. When my senior looked at his wrist, the wristband was gone. Creepy if you ask me. I had an uncle in the CIA who claimed the CIA imprisoned a kid who was possessed and fed them information. Uncle B began college in the early 60s with a major in theology to become a pastor. He was married and was in love with his wife, Missy. During his third year, he and Missy found out they were going to be parents. Tragically, a week later, she was killed in a freak accident by a drunk driver. B dropped out of college, he said at the time. I don't think I completely lost my faith, but I didn't want to talk to God anymore. After a while, he transferred to a different college and majored in political science, minored in linguistics and joined the ROTC. He got out with his commission in Army Intel and went to Vietnam. He did a bunch of crazy stuff and was then recruited into the CIA. After a few years in the CIA, he said he got assigned to a counterintelligence team in NYC. They wanted him, with his background in theology, to infiltrate the Russian Orthodox Church in NYC to gather intel about the KGB using it as a cover. His cover story was that he was ordained Orthodox priest, but not Russian. He had converted and wanted to be regularized or something to that effect. I didn't really understand. He tried explaining it, but it went over my head. Anyway, he got the bishop's blessing, and he became an associate pastor or something like that. I was drinking when he told me all this, so forgive me if I don't remember how all that worked. I'm sure there was more, but it's beside the point. After a year undercover in this assignment, he was making progress. But then one day, this young man, late teens, came into his office. He said he was clearly distressed, erratic, and angry. He knew who he was indirectly. His mother had been going to a different priest and talking about her son, hearing voices, and acting strangely. My uncle thought he needed to get him to a hospital, but then the kid lunged at him, started talking in Aramaic, and called him by his real name and his deceased wife's name. And then the name they were going to give their unborn son. They had names picked out for a boy and a girl. They were also not common names. This freaked him the F out because he had never told anyone that she was even pregnant before she was killed. So he then called his handlers and they took him and the kid to a safe house. They thought he was schizophrenic, but Spooks wanted to know who was on to my uncle and how much they knew. My uncle started the interrogations because the kid was switching through multiple languages, Russian, Greek, Latin, Aramaic, alongside English, and only my uncle knew these. He said he thought demonic possession was just superstition, so he didn't really want to believe that was possible. Still, he said he had no idea how the kid knew the things he did. He asked the kid for his name when his voice started to sound like a dog growling at him. They had to restrain him, and even then the straps looked like they could snap, he said. I asked what name did he give, and he started to tell me, but then he said that name had become classified in a way that he said could affect me, since it was unusual. I don't think that was true, but B had become convinced it was a demon, and I think by saying its name it would come back or something. He said it started talking about their projects and a bunch of classified stuff. His supervisors decided that the kid was deranged, but they had to ascertain how he came to know what he did. They decided to transport him to Langley, Virginia, CIA headquarters, to be treated and interrogated. D was given a cover story he delivered to the priest that the kid had a psychotic breakdown, attacked him, and 
that he took him to the hospital. He then left and never went back. His superiors decided to terminate the operation because they felt that his cover was severely blown and that B may have even been a double agent, and this kid somehow found out about it. Either way, B was sent to Langley. They wanted him to keep interrogating the kid as a priest. This turned into a spectacle, he said, as people would come into the room and see for themselves the demon they caught, and the kid would start spouting off secrets about them. D said Angleton, James Jesus Angleton, was an American intelligence operative who served as chief of counterintelligence for the Central Intelligence Agency from 1954. To 1975, eventually came down to see the kid. The kid started talking, and Angleton told everyone to leave the room. Several minutes later, he came out looking like a ghost. He thanked B for his hard work, but said the kid would never leave the CIA. Angleton said whatever bastards leaked this information out to screw up this sick kid, he'd pursue to the gates of hell and personally put them down. B said after that he was reassigned to a desk job. He wanted the kid to get treatment in a real mental hospital in an exorcism. B decided to quit soon on after that. I asked what did the kid say, but he said it didn't matter. He'd only say it was enough to convince him to come back to his faith, and he prays every day for that kid's soul. Years later, after he told me this story, the CIA declassified its Gateway Project, a 1983 CIA study investigated how humans can transcend space and time with their minds. I asked B about it. He said it was a cover, and an old colleague told him the information they got actually came from the source. That's what they called him. B speculated that at some point the source quit talking, and that's when they folded the psychic project. I asked him what he thought had happened to the man. He said he didn't know, but most likely they loaded him up with antipsychotics and put him in an institution. Check this out. This is a true story. We used to sneak in and go fishing at Green River Golf Course off the 91 freeway in Southern California. It's a long walk-in. There's a couple lakes. There's one lake, the best one, all the way towards the back of the course. It rests against a big hill. We were walking, me and my cousin and another friend, toward the lake. We were almost there, and the trees surrounding the lake just started walking. Like they were surrounding the lake, around six, ten of them. It was like we startled them, and half went one way, and half went the other. It was crazy. From the moonlight, we could see the silhouettes move. It looked like the trees just started walking, like trying to clear out of there before we got there. We stopped dead in our tracks, and never fished that night. Nobody believes that story, but it happened. I have seen UFOs, too. No big deal. That stuff is 100% real, no doubt. But that night I saw the trees move. It really happened. So my mom called me after she was talking with her best friend. He had told her that while he was in New Mexico with his boyfriend, I don't know what city, they saw something weird. So they were laying down on their hotel balcony watching the stars when they saw what looked like a man jump off the building they were on. It caught both of their attention because they thought someone was trying to unalive himself. They both jumped up in worry as they watched it fall, but right when it was about to hit the ground it left wings out and flew straight down a road really fast. They watched it until it was out of view in horror. They described it as a large black humanoid figure with neon glowing wings. I was thinking it was something called Mothman, which I remembered hearing about, but I knew they were only spotted in West Virginia. If anyone knows what this could be, please comment. So my mom is the property manager of a local trailer park. The maintenance man and his assistant were doing a scope of the park at around 1.30 a.m. when they saw a strange thing on the roof of the trailer. 
Originally, they thought it was a mountain lion until it stood on two legs. The creature was paper white. His arms hung below his knees, and it was zeroable to jump from trailer top to trailer top. But the weirdest thing it was doing was calling the name of the tenants inside of the trailers. They continued following it until it jumped over a tall fence and was off in the night. My mom would have thought they were just messing with her if it wasn't for the fact that four tenants called my mom the next morning to report something jumping on their roof. I've considered it being the rake or a flesh pedestrian, but there are problems with it being either one of those. Please help. Edit. If it helps, I'm in Montana. I am a member of a choir, and because we are middle-aged adults, meetings are at night in a church in countryside. We live in a very rural area of England. It's dark out there in September at 8 p.m. Tonight, halfway through our meeting, a stark white face appeared at the chancel window, approximately six, seven feet from the ground. About half of us saw it, lit by a blue light, a face staring through the window. However, the weird thing is, to the women who saw it, this face was that of an elderly woman with either a scarf or a wimple wrapped around her head. The men saw a young man with beard and mid-length hair like Jesus. I'm going back tomorrow to see if there is a bench or a step that they could have stood on. Maybe then it was a nosy walker with a bluish torch. But I don't know as I sit here. It seems just like an improbable place and time for a human to be.